This is Tony Anderson, General Manager at Cherryland Electric Cooperative, and with me today is Rachel Johnson, our grassroots advocate and our member services manager. This is uh, really episode one of what we hope to be a long podcast series. And we want to start it off with uh, the fact that why are we doing this? And to really answer that question, I went back to our vision statement. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there's two, three sentences out of there that I, I think answer the question. And the first one is Cherryland Electric Cooperative. Our goal is to be a respected leader throughout this, uh, our service territory, our state, and our region. And we want to be seen as innovators, communicators, and champions of community, community service. And while podcasts have been around for a long time, they're not widely used in the co-op world. So we see this as a little bit of innovation, I guess. And in our value statements, inside and outside our cooperative, listening and communicating is a priority. So we just feel like this is another medium we can communicate our message and uh, give it to a group of members who may not get it otherwise. So with that, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Rachel, and she'll talk about the purpose of this episode. Well, and I think, Tony, that the purpose of this episode directly fits what you just said because today we want to talk about different types of utilities and not all utilities are really created equal co-ops are a little different than some other ways people might receive their electricity and understanding what makes us different i think also helps to understand why we are so committed to educating our community and our members and communicating with people about issues we think affect their access to affordable reliable power exactly so different types of utilities uh Obviously, we'll get to co-ops a little later, but uh, the first type of utility was really an investor-owned utility. And those are the large utilities like Consumers Energy in Michigan, uh, DTE Energy in Michigan. They have um, thousands, millions of customers, really, and all their profits go to stockholders. They're uh, publicly traded companies with stockholders, and uh, their goal is to make money for those stockholders. And, and that guides some of their decision-making, right? They can't make decisions that will undermine their ability to make profits for their shareholders. Correct. Yeah, it's a total different motivation from, well, the munis would be the next form of utility. Uh, municipal systems, um, several of them in Michigan, Traverse City Light and Power being one, and I think Holland, Lansing Board of Water and Light, to name a few of the municipals are owned by the city, uh, certainly different governing boards like the Light and Power Board. But uh, their whole goal is to serve the specific city they're, they're in. And any profit they make goes back to the general fund of the organization and certainly benefits all the, the members they serve, but still a little different than the cooperative model. Right, because unlike an investor-owned, they're not, necessar- they're not in it for the profit. But unlike a co-op, we are actually democratically governed where our membership elects our board, Correct. whereas a municipal has a board that's appointed. You're right. The Light and Power Board is appointed by the city commission, who is elected. So, yeah, it is an, uh, definitely an appointment. And, and certainly the service territories are really different in between a municipal and an electric that's, cooperative. That's one of the biggest differences is service territories. Electric cooperatives were literally started to serve the rural areas nobody else wanted to serve. So when you look at Traverse City Light and Power or DTE or consumers, you're going to find, you know, 20, 30, 50 meters per mile in the city of Jackson or the city of Traverse City. And out in our territory, Cherryland Electric Cooperative has 11 meters per mile. The national average is five. 
and I actually managed a co-op in the state of Wyoming years ago that had a little over one meter per mile. So it's a vastly different uh, setup. Well, and then it changes too. The the less meters you have per mile of line, the more each person on that mile of line has to help cover the cost of maintaining that mile of line. Exactly. Uh, A mile of line in the city of Jackson is is going to cost very similar to a mile of line in Benzie County for us, mm-hmm. you know, but they get to hang 30, 40, and 50 meters on that mile of line. I, I get to hang 11. Sure. So the cost structure is, is different, has to be different. So you, you hinted at what kind of why, why co-ops got started, but I think the history of co-ops is really, really interesting. A lot of people don't know, but back in the mid-1930s, most people living in cities and densely populated areas had electricity. But in rural areas, nine out of 10 farms didn't have electricity. So you had this incredible quality of life disparity between mm-hmm. rural and urban communities. And, and kind of in response to that, President Roosevelt, Roosevelt FDR, uh, in, in, in the New Deal, enacted the Rural Electrification Act. Yep, in the midst of the Great Depression, mm-hmm. when we needed a stimulus or a real stimulus across the country, he went hat in hand to the investor-owned utilities and said, help me uh, electrify the rural areas. Because everybody generally knew if we could get electricity to the rural areas, uh, we could improve the economy, improve the life of our people. And he was turned down. And so he formed the Rural Electrification Administration as part of that, the New Deal. And that's really what gave birth to electric co-ops. And, and just to bring it right back to where we started, but part of the reason the investor-owned utilities said, well, no, we don't want to serve rural areas is because they said there's no profit to be made there. So yet again, an example of kind of that profit-driven motivation. It was exactly. very hard to, to make the numbers make sense in rural areas. Mm-hmm. And part of the um, Electrification Act, Rural Electrification Act, was creating a lending source for people living in rural communities who are interested in starting co-ops and building their own electrical infrastructure. Right. Yeah, but groups of farmers in all different areas, they got together and formed their individual co-ops. And then today there's 900 co-ops across the country in 47 states. You know, we like to talk about, well, we serve a lot of the rural areas, and we certainly do, but when you add them all up, the electric co-ops serve 42 million people. There's 360 million people in the country. So you think, well, that's a very small percentage of the country. And then you look at the land mass. And those 42 million people that the electric co-ops serve, they're spread over 75% of the land mass in the United States. And and that's an amazing number to me because that means 320 million people are occupying 25% of our country. Mm -hmm. And there's the big difference, the great disparity. We have a large country, but it's not densely populated at all once you get outside the city centers. I just read an interesting stat that electric co-ops serve about 12% of the electric meters across the United States, but they own and maintain about 45% of all the electric lines. Yeah, and I, I would tend to, I would tend to believe that if you took Cherryland's lines and spread them out in, in a single line, you would go from Baltimore, Maryland to San Francisco. That's crazy. And that's just in our fourteen hundred square mile area. And then there's you multiply that times nine hundred with similar density and even more less density, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you're getting there's a lot of infrastructure there for sure. So the uh, Rural Electrification Act was really successful. Like I said, in 1935, 9 out of 10 farms didn't have electricity. By 1945, 9 out of 10 did. Correct. Can you imagine how big of a difference that made over the course of a decade? Mm-hmm. Lot, and, and, and like you said, lots of jobs, lots of economic development as a result of it, but also just improved quality of life. Great. Yeah. And, 
And a lot of that picked up right after World War II. You know, uh, it, it even grew further as soon as World War II got over. If you look at the history of a lot of co-ops, that's when they added a, a ton more meters. You know, we got into livestock watering and commercial accounts and oil wells and everything just took off after that. And um, it, it's been good since. And Cherryland was pretty early to the game. So around 1938, some mm. farmers in our community decided yep. they should um, apply for an, a, a loan. Within a year, they had strung 3,000 miles a line and brought the first 60 meters. 300 on. miles a line. I'm sorry, 300 miles a line. line. I'm sorry. It took us just, about 76 like years <laughs> to get to 3,000 miles. But yeah, there were guys by the name of Max Gowen, Frank Burkhart, uh, I know Leto. Um, they were all names that were on that first REA loan. So you already you already kind of I I accidentally did the big reveal. So we started with the 300 miles a line. We now have 3,000 3, miles, miles a line. line. So that's how much we've grown in about 75 years. Yep. yep. And from 60 people energized to now, almost 34,000 members. 34,000 members, yeah, and continuing to grow. We're we're adding. We'll probably add 200 meters this year in 2014. So it, it continues to grow. Everybody likes to be up north. We like it too. Yeah. So. All that, despite all that growth, we're really still structured very similarly to the way we were in 1938. And I think part of that's what's really unique about co-ops is how mm -hmm. they're structured and, and how the co-op business model works. Yep. Everybody, some people like to think, well, all the co-ops are the same and their structure is the same, but their boards are different. They, they're entirely separate entities governed by boards that range from the size of five people to 15 people. A typical number is nine board members. At Cherryland, we have seven. We used to have nine. Several years ago, we downsized to seven, and that number's been working well. But they're all democratically elected, and that's the key. The, the member, we are truly owned by the members we serve because they get the opportunity to elect their representatives to the co-op board, and they've been doing that for the entire 76 years we've been in business. And we do our elections every year at the annual meeting, mm -hmm. and our board members, um, we have several that are at large and then several that represent specific districts as well so we have one board member who represents Leelanau County one board member who represents Grand Traverse County and one board member who represents Benzie Manistee and Wexford right we like to call that our BMW district high class yeah and then we have uh, at large board members as well but all the entire membership gets to gets to vote for all of those so that's been working very well for a long time. Uh, we have members who can come. We have quarterly member input sessions at the board meetings, so members can come and give us input. And we have the annual meeting where uh, hundreds of members can come and, and hear a report on the co-op and ask questions at the same time. And we post all of our board minutes online every month as well. And again, mm -hmm. it's all, I mean, ultimately we want our members to, to understand what's going on with the co-op and to be engaged because it works a lot better when the people who are involved in the democratic process are informed. Yep. They need to be informed, educated. That's part of the reason for this uh, new medium with the podcast is try to educate some more on why we are in business and why is Cherryland Electric cooperative and not Cherryland Electric? Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of my pet peeves is when somebody calls us Cherryland Electric, they're leaving out the best part <laughs> and that's the cooperative part. And that's, that's the main difference is the fact that uh, we are owned by the people we serve. We, if we don't sell you electricity, you're, you're not an owner mm -hmm. in some fashion. So in addition to all of our members having, you know, uh, 
a unique vote in access to the democratic process, they also, as part owners, are entitled to any margins that we make. Right. right? And that's a Correct. part of us being not for profit. Right. And uh, in the business world, you, you would think of uh, margins as profit. You know, we like to say we're a not for profit utility, but we do have to make a profit to meet our mortgage requirements. But we don't call it profit. We call them margins. We call it capital credits. If you're 10% of our revenue and we make $100, you will get $10 in capital credits as a member of the cooperative. And we'll use that for 20 years to uh, buy poles and wires and trucks. We essentially get zero interest funding from our members in, in the form of those margins and those capital credits. And then over time, we give them back. You know, in October of 2013, we gave back $3 million in margins or capital credits to our members. And we're, we may do $4 million this year. And the decision to make the retirement and give that money back is, is at the discretion of the board based on the financial standing of the cooperative. Right. So yet again, the people that our members vote to represent them are the same people who will make the decision about when it's time to make a retirement and how much that retirement should be based on the financials exactly. of the co-op. Yep. The, the management, myself, and the CFO and the other management team will make a recommendation to the board, but it's entirely up to the board of how much money they want to give back. And uh, they look at the, the equity and the financial position of the cooperative. And it takes a certain number of, a certain level of rates to uh, be in that financial condition. And they manage that as well. Our, our last rate increase was 2011. And since then, obviously no rate increase since 2011, but we've been giving back record numbers of uh, capital credits in that time. A couple of years ago, it was $2 million. That was, was the most ever. Then we did $3 million, and, and we're on the precipice of going to $4 million for the first time in our history, pending an upcoming board meeting. Mm -hmm. Well, and even just to, you mentioned rates, and it kind of tr triggered this for me. Even when we think about rates, ultimately for a co-op, it's about recouping our cost of service. And our rates are, we want our rates to be designed to uh, fit where we're spending money, what our costs are, and then not necessarily, again, not trying to get a profit, not trying to build profit mm -hmm. into it, but simply making sure that our rates accurately reflect what it costs us to provide electricity to our members. Exactly. It's, it's called cost-based rates. If the residential rate class costs X to serve, then that's what we're going to charge. You know, we're not going to have manufacturing pay a higher rate so we can reduce the residential rate. Everybody's going to stand on their own. Every rate class has a different function. You know, a, a transformer at the Great Wolf Lodge is going to cost a greatly different price than the transformer at my house. So every rate class has a different cost to it. Anyway, you could install a water park at your house. I could then... install a water park at my house. <laughs> no, have to yeah, my granddaughter would like that, but <laughs> my electric bill wouldn't like that. <laughs> But so, yeah, we very much try to stay to cost-based rates and not have anybody, one rate class subsidizing the other. Well, and I think all of it comes back to the sense in which, and you, you kind of talked about our mission statement, and it really is about doing what's best for our members. I mean, exactly. they're the reason we exist. We emerged out of a community need, and I think we still are a response to the, the needs mm -hmm. of our community. So making sure that our members have access to power when they want it and at prices they can afford. Yep. Safe, re reliable, affordable. Mm -hmm. That's our mission. Sure. It's always been our mission. Sure. 
Well, and not just, I mean, obviously we love providing electricity and keeping the lights on, but we do a little bit more than that as well. Correct. We're pretty involved in the community, and I think that's another unique aspect of co-ops, mm-hmm. that one of our guiding principles, not just electric co-ops, but co-ops in general, one of the seven co- cooperative principles is commitment to community. Exactly. And we do a lot in the community to, to be good neighbors. Very much, yeah. We, I just had an employee at the YMCA board meeting today, you know, uh, you're involved. Uh, I do Big Brothers Big Sisters. I've been on the chamber in the past. We, we have employees in all kinds of areas of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, Holiday Hills just put in a zip line. Uh, we had line crews there after hours uh, volunteering their own time to put that in. It's just it's just about helping out where we can fit the need. You know, they had a need for a bucket truck, and we just happened and to we have had a, a few bucket, truck. bucket trucks. <laughs> so. We fit that need, and we're we were born in the rural areas, and you know the, the fair is something we believe in, mm-hmm. and we participate in every year, and it, the list it just goes on and on. It's quite a list. Well, and it's not just our employees and our organization, but also I think one really cool thing about Cherryland is we have uh, give our members the opportunity to contribute to Cherryland Cares by rounding up their electric bill and to the nearest dollar. So they're, they're, they're donating pennies, right? right. Just donating cents. Yep. But through that fund, we've given out over $600,000 in grants to nonprofits in the community since we started Cherryland Cares over 10 years yep. ago. Cherryland Cares takes in about 4000 4, a month, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the average donation is 50 cents a month. And it, it's just the difference. If, if your light bill is $95.25, that gets rounded up to 96 bucks And that goes into Cherryland Cares, and there's a whole separate board that gives that out to Father Fred, the Boy Scouts, you know, uh, the Women's Resource Center. The list goes on and on. Sure. All the great organizations we have in our community, and that's our members' money. Well, and the the board that oversees that fund is a group of volunteer members as well. So they it's, are. it's Cherryland the, members. Yep. Yep. It's our members' money being allocated via our members into the community our members live in, which is just basically awesome. Yep. Yep. We, we collect it from the members and members give it back and it benefits everybody. Mm-hmm. And we certainly would like people listening to this podcast to check their bill and make sure it's rounded up to the nearest dollar so they can contribute as well. And if it's not, they can give us a call. We can sign them up on the yeah. phone. 486-9200. We can get you hooked up with Sherilyn <laughs> Cares today for 50 cents a month. But I think it's just, again, all a part of this. When If you ask me to just say in, in, in the most succinct way possible what makes co-ops different, it's the fact that we are making every decision based on what we think is in the best interest of our community and our members. Mm-hmm. And we have the freedom to do that because we aren't driven by profits, because we are governed by a democratically elected board, and ultimately because we work in a great place with great people. Yeah, and that's not to disparage any of the other utilities either. You know, Consumers Energy, DTE, Traverse City Light and Power, Lansing Board of Water and Light, those are all good utilities who are completing their missions as well. We're just here today to talk about the co-op difference. There is a difference when you belong to a cooperative, and uh, that's just the model we were born in. It's all I've ever done for 30 years, so totally biased to that model, but... Well, and, and we kind of hinted at this, but as we as we wrap up this episode, one thing I think is just really important to, to reiterate one more time is that we think it is a part of our mission to communicate with our members about issues we think will affect them. Absolutely. And, and so sometimes that means sticking our neck out there and talking about some pretty hot-button political issues mm-hmm. and, and even taking some flack, but we're doing it because we believe that's one of our responsibilities 
as a co-op. Yep. It, it's all about defending the safe, reliable, affordable. And you get into a lot of the hot topics when you get into affordability. Everybody's in favor of safety and everybody wants their lights on, no matter what side of issues people are on. But things change when you get to the affordability section of our our message. And we've we've stayed true to that that message for a, a long time. And that has meant sticking our neck out and taking a stand. But that's also done with support from the board who mm -hmm. represent the membership. Mm -hmm. And not every member agrees with some of those stands, but uh, we, we're still guided by the board, and mm -hmm. they're the ones who are elected. So sure. we certainly need to do that. And this, this podcast is another part of that. So we talk about things in country lines and our email newsletter through our social media and our website. We're going to have a new blog. But this podcast is just yet another layer in there where we can dig into some of these issues that will have a incredible impact on our community. Yep. It's one tool in a, a big mm -hmm. toolbox, and we're just continuing to take those tools out and to see what we can do with them and see what part of our membership will use them. There's certainly our tried and true members love the magazine, the recipes, the columns, and, and just grabbing the magazine and reading it. Other members, we, we have over 3,000 members engaged on Facebook now, and that's going very well for us and uh, we get good press in the local media. So we're looking for the, the podcast listener, the, somebody who wants to like, be educated, be informed on their drive to work or their jog around the block in the morning. Mm -hmm. And so it's just another tool in the toolbox. And that's what co-ops have always done since the beginning, is try to find needs that need to be filled by. So each of these podcast episodes is going to be about 30 minutes, digging into different issues along the way. But we hope that people listening will, after listening to this first podcast, decide to subscribe and check out our probably about monthly installations. Yeah, our, our goal is probably to do something monthly okay. just so we can be consistent. And if, if people really want recipes, maybe we'll do a Cooking with Tony podcast. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> the toast goes in the top and come, comes out the top. Uh, but we will, uh, we're very much interested in, in what the membership wants to learn from these podcasts. And we will have guests on in the future. You know, there's a number of people across the state that we'd like to introduce the membership to in this forum. And so we have a lot of ideas going forward, but we're certainly open to hearing from the membership as well. Yep, absolutely. So thank you. With that, I think we're at the end of podcast number one. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Stay tuned for what's coming up next. Sounds good. All right. Thank you.